Thanks for tuning in to the Bethel New England Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from our lead pastor, Pastor Eric Capelli. If you have your Bibles with you, in just a moment, we'll be looking in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. But before we get there, this month is the sermon series called In It to Win It. And today, I want to be 100% clear. Yes, I played soccer as a child. Yes, I did get a participation trophy every year. Do not make fun of those trophies. Because my team, even though we won, we did not get the large trophy personally. We all got the individual ones. But I want to make something very clear. When I played, I played to win. When our coach coached us, he coached us to win. When I did not win, I did not like it. And I want to help us in that mindset today. When it comes to being in it to win it, we as believers are called not only to walk with Jesus, but it honestly feels, as I've said before, like a marathon, or in the words of my wife, a triathlon or a decathlon. And so today I want to talk to you about what it means to be in that race with Jesus, what it means to follow after him and the things that we need in order to keep the pace properly. So the title of the message today is Cadence. And cadence is the lovely speed that you get when you're running because oftentimes, even growing up, I'd have these kind of people with me even at gym class or for certain sport opportunities and people would say all the time, oh, they run really fast. Well, there are many that can run fast, but running fast is not cadence. Running fast does not help you cross the finish line. Knowing how to break the right stride and to keep the tempo into the very end is what causes one to cross the finish line. See, there are many that come to Christ. They come to a knowledge of him and they experience things like, oh, my sins are forgiven. I've been baptized in water and filled with the Holy Spirit. I learned how to give a few bucks in the offering. And they feel like, oh, I'm, I'm on cloud nine. Well, for many, that cloud nine only lasts a little bit of time before trials, tribulations, problems, not only in your personal life, but also even in your church life can seep in. And I've seen many people that ran the race and they stopped running the race. There are those that I looked up to as a teenager, even in church, that they were examples to me of people that were passionate about Jesus. And after 20 years, I've seen them trade it all in for a life of worldliness and sinful pleasure. People, I am not in this with Jesus to quit. My hope for each and every one of you is that you are not in this with Jesus to quit, but you are in it to win it, that you are willing to keep the pace no matter what it costs to finish Jesus until the very end. Regarding keeping this cadence in the world of sports, Jack McNamara says the following, as we tire, our running technique often starts to deteriorate. But most of the time, we don't notice the changes because our body adapts to maintain our pace naturally. In our Christian life, we oftentimes think that we can almost go on this sense of automatic pilot. 
I've said it to believers, I've said it to you, and I will say it until I'm blue in the face. I don't care when you got saved. I want to know, are you still saved? I don't care when you got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Are you still operating under his presence today? Just because something happened 10 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, does not mean that it is alive and well inside of you. There are people that can say, oh, I love Jesus, and then I say to them, how much? How much? How much are you willing to give your all? Because being a Christian is not easy. When you look at it according to the Bible, it is not a crutch that helps those that are just trying to get by. It is a cross that we bear. That we are willing to say, Jesus, I'm running after you no matter what. See, when the good times are done and trials and tribulations come, when things don't go the way that you want them to go, are you still willing to hold on to Jesus? When the cares of life press in on every side, when the devil attacks you on every end, are you still willing to keep going? And I need you to determine that for yourself That with Jesus and through the power of the Spirit and by the love of the Father, that you are in it until the very end. I need you to make that heart's decision. I need you to let this be burned into your mind every day and every hour, every moment when you think, I just want to give up. I just want to stop. See, God does not stop with you. He never gives up on you. And Hebrews Chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, Paul is talking about this race and those that are running in this great arena like Olympians trying to get the prize in front of them. And he says to the people, therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does this Bible verse have to do with cadence and running the race? And what does it have to do with Jesus? Jesus could have given up at any time along the way. The great cloud of witnesses that are talked about in Hebrews are the people that live the lives of faith. Some of them shut the mouths of lions, but others of them were devoured by the lions. Some of them conquered nations, and some of them were led into captivity by nations. But they were men and women of faith that choose to keep going, believing that God was their great reward. And Jesus endured Jesus kept going. Jesus had every reason to say, I'm done. I'm done. I didn't do anything wrong. I've done everything you've asked me to do. And now you want me to go die on a cross for these people? Like, God the Father, are you tapped? But Jesus drank the cup. Jesus obeyed. And Jesus kept running that race. Well, was it because he was a martyr? No, he knew the joy that was set before him. 
Jesus knew what was gonna be beyond that finish line, that the reward beyond the cross would be resurrection, that the reward beyond the cross would be glorification, and the same that goes for Jesus goes for you and I. We are not just trying to get to the light at the end of the tunnel. We are going to the kingdom that will never end. We are going to the God who is immovable, unshakable, and unstoppable, whose love and glory glory, no, no bounds. When you run through that finish line, you will be received into the arms of a mighty Savior. Thomas Aquinas, famous church theologian, said the following about this thing we call endurance. He said, the principal act of courage is to endure and withstand dangers doggedly rather than to attack them. Oftentimes when we are running the race, going through what we're going through, we like as people to play the blame game. Oh, the devil. I've grown up in these church movements. I got a little bit of independent fundamentalist Baptist in me. I've got a little bit of Roman Catholic in me. I've got a little bit of Pentecostal and charismatic in me. I've got some Dutch Reformed theology that creeps in every once in a while. Come on. And each one of them, they want to blame the devil for everything. The devil this, the devil that. The devil behind the tree and the devil in this. Your biggest enemy is not the devil. And this race that is set before you, the biggest enemy that you will ever face is the enemy of self. It is the enemy of your own determination. And one of the biggest problems of our society is our society has lent itself to people that are just allowed to quit. It's too hard for you. Give up. You can't do it. And I remember at one point as a minister when I was playing into this, there was a single mom, she was trying to raise her kids, and I was talking to her, and I, and I just had this conversation, and again, you're trying to play on with empathy and all these things, and I kind of, I succumbed to her own sense of not believing in herself, and I thought, like, really, it's hopeless and helpless. And I go home, and I tell my wife, I had the conversation with so-and-so and someone else, and my wife said, you know, you got to go back to her. She said, pretty much the way that you made it seem is she feels like you can't do it and you confirmed that she can't do it. You've got to go back and tell her, you can do this. And we need to realize that we can do this, that it is good to have pressure. It is good to have challenges in front of us. It is good when there is opposition. It makes you stronger. And we don't like to hear those things, it makes you stronger, but it really does. It really makes you stronger. And God is trying to strengthen us as we follow after Jesus, as we are running this race. And that's why he says, throw off the hindrances, because they actually trained with weights on. Because when they were finally ready to run and they threw off the weights, they knew what it was like to run with weights on them. And so running with the freedom of the weights being gone, man, they flew. Don't wait. Don't wait, like I said, for those hard times to come. But when they come, learn to embrace them. 
Learn to realize that God is in the story of the difficulties, that God is in the story of your worst hour, but he is there for you, giving you the strength and the power that you need to keep going. You can do this. And so the first thing that we need to do to keep our cadence is to keep our pace. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says the following. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? Ding, ding, ding. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, least after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. When Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, he is letting them know he is in it to win it. He's letting the people of Corinth know because they're thinking, we're just dealing with all of this stuff. We're trying to serve God, but we've got sin crouching all around us. We've got sinful desires and sinful behaviors, and, well, we just can't help ourselves. And he says to them, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. If you have decided to follow Jesus, I hope that you are like people that are in that race, that you are willing to train yourself in godliness and to realize that every step of the way, no matter what challenges are in front of you, you through Jesus are gonna rise to that occasion. And the reason you have to is because eternity is in mind. The reason you have to is because our life as Christians was not just meant to be waited out until Jesus comes back. That's how I grew up. I'm saved and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and I'm comfortable in church, so I'm just waiting for Jesus to come and get me. What a pathetic life. Come on. If the only purpose he has for you is to get to the other side, that's a pretty sad purpose. And heaven is wonderful and it's beautiful and it's real. But God has a purpose for you right here and right now. And he needs you to run. He needs you to run like you've never run before. And so in the words of Jenny, run, Forrest, run. No, just kidding. All winning teams are goal-oriented. Teams like these win consistently because everyone connected with them concentrates on specific objectives. They go about their business with blinders on and nothing will distract them from achieving their aims. I have to be honest with you guys. I think it's pathetic when we have created a society that does not challenge people to be better than who they can be. To rise, to rise. When we live in a society, oh, you are the victim of everything that happened to you. You are the victim of whatever upbringing you had because every single nationality can attest to hardship. Every single person can attest to hardship. Problems do not just exist in poverty. They are to be found everywhere. That is why Jesus came. Jesus understood that humanity was hurting and they needed that lift and we, as the body of Christ, we need to realize that Jesus wants to lift us. He wants to bring us up out of this. He wants to lift us up. 
He wants to grow us up. And I love this new word coming out. He wants to glow us up. That you will look like a better version of what you were meant to be. Thank God. God did not settle. Thank God that God never stopped believing in me. Thank God for the men and women of God in my life that said, oh, Eric, you are gonna do great things for the Lord. They believed, they believed, but you know what? They could believe in me until they were blue in the face. I needed to believe that with the strength of my God, I could run through an army and leap over a wall. I can do all things through him. The next thing we need to realize on this journey is that we need to keep the peace. The worst thing that an athlete can ever do is get into their own head. When you are competing, there is this sense of you are doing what you do and you do it with skill. But when you get into your own head, and we know how that goes, like there are people that sing beautifully, but the second they get into their own head, their voice begins to shake from nerves. There are people that are very skilled when they do things, but when they get into their own head, all of a sudden it starts getting very freaky and very awkward. Even young ladies in the world of gymnastics have told us about the concept of getting the twisties. As trained as they are, that when they get into a headspace that is not right, it can be dangerous for them. Keeping the peace of God in your life as a Christian is a must. You need to fight for that peace, pray for that peace, worship for that peace at all costs. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, Paul admonishes the church in Thessalonia and says to them, rejoice always. These people are being persecuted. No, rejoice always. Pray constantly and give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then he writes in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven, do not worry about anything. That's nice, Paul, that you say that. I worry a lot. Do not worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. When you feel like you are losing the peace of God, have you ever felt that way? Come on, many of us do. Be honest. I'm a pastor and sometimes, and forgive my English, and I'm not gonna say the actual word, but I lose my S just like all of you do too. And when I am in that headspace, there are things that I need to do in order for that peace of God to flow all over again. And my buddy Paul lays them out here. Number one, he says, rejoice always. And like an annoying person, he repeats it again. Again, I say rejoice, and he keeps writing it, and it's like you wanna strangle this guy. Paul, don't you know, like I am having a bad day. And do you ever feel that way? Like sometimes you just wanna be miserable. And as New Englanders, we are the number one world athlete in misery. Come on. New Englanders, we are known for being the crankiest, most standoffish people in the United States. I'm having a bad day, you stay there, I stay here, and you're lucky if I say hello to you. 
And when you come into my work or you come into my classroom, if I am having a bad day, you're going to feel it because I'm not going to be fake. And we've settled into that mindset. We've settled into the crankiness of the climate of New England, but Paul is even saying to us, rejoice. On your worst day at work, rejoice. When your family is driving you nuts, rejoice. When your boss, you want to strangle them, lift your hands and rejoice. When your schoolwork is driving you mad and you want to fling the computer out the window, rejoice. 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 There's something practical to it. We oftentimes make it seem like the Bible is this ethereal, spiritual book that has no practical or psychological application to us. Physiologically, do you know that there is something that happens in your brain when you praise? When you are cranky and miserable and unthankful, do you know your brain gets stuck? Your brain does not think of solutions. Your brain is not creative, and you actually feel even more miserable. And many of us have learned to enjoy cooking in our own misery. But when we praise, when we put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, when we, like David, learn to talk to our soul and say, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. When we determine to praise him, do you know that your brain begins to build new pathways? In the world of positive psychology, they show us that when we begin to think in a positive manner, because we are worshiping, your brain starts to think in solutions. Many can attest to that, that they can say, I was stuck in the rut, but I began to praise the Lord, and all of a sudden, everything became clear. It's not just something out of the sky. Yes, it is the presence of the Lord, but your brain is working in conjunction with the Lord's presence. Rejoice always. He says, pray constantly. When I think of the hymn that I grew up seeing, what a friend we have in Jesus. It says, oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we did not carry everything to God in prayer. Some of us make it a sport of complaining about our life and griping to everyone. Everyone. And you think that by telling your friends, it's going to help you feel better. I know one thing that does not work for me. When I begin to talk about my problems with other people, it actually makes them worse. Because I become more aware how angry I am. I become more aware how upset I am. The more I talk about it, the more I vent to someone who cannot help me, by the way. Because most of the advice you get in life is not good advice. When you look at Job, when he was going through his difficulties, his friends were no help to him. You know, fellow believers, they mean well, and we get hurt by them. Listen, they're just people like you. And when Job's friends, in the midst of his difficulty, gathered around him, they were telling him all kinds of things. Oh, Job, if you only had a little more faith. Oh, Job, it's the devil that's attacking you. Oh, Job, if you had only done this, oh, Job, maybe you sinned. Maybe your kids sinned. Maybe your wife sinned. We're looking. We're, and I've heard Christians say all of those things when bad things are happening. But Job, 
when he was in the midst of his suffering, when his friend's advice led him nowhere, he said, my heart and my strength may fail, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forevermore, that I may know his goodness in the land of the living. And God began to speak powerfully. See, no one knows how to speak to your situation like God does. No one knows how to calm your fears, bring peace to your heart like he does. He made you. And you know the funny thing? In my case, he doesn't say a lot. He usually just says one word. And sometimes it is a word I don't even want to hear. Like, stop it. Be quiet. Knock it off. But sometimes... He quiets you with his love. Sometimes he pours out his grace without you even having to say a word. And that is why we pray. To keep the peace, we need to bring our hearts and our emotions and our experiences to truly the one who can save us, deliver us, and heal us. And lastly, we are admonished to give thanks in everything. I hated this Bible verse. Hated it. Give thanks. You're not paying my bills. Give thanks. You don't live in my home. Give thanks. You don't know what I go through at work. Give thanks. You don't know the stuff I'm up against on an everyday basis. Paul, nice that you can say it. Dude, you're stuck in prison. I'm dealing with reality here. Believe me, I have these conversations with Paul. And no, I am not mentally unstable. I just don't read the Bible and take it as it is. I'm thinking, I'm wrestling this verse out here. And I remember when I was a young missionary, because Pastor James spoke about missions, I was on the receiving end of missions money. And I was always thankful for Bethel for being on time and giving their support. But many other churches and many other believers, they faltered in giving to their missions. Do you know what that meant once a month? I was stressing out. And as a newly married man with a baby coming every month when I had to see what was in that account, I wanted to kill someone. Like, really, you're thinking, God, like, I'm serving you and I'm giving my life for you and it's just gonna pour in because that's what they tell you, right? Like, I'm serving God. He's gonna provide for everything. But he provided, but he did not provide in the way that I thought he would. And every month as I opened that account, I would get stress in my neck, stress in my head, and get a headache. Have you been there before? And you know what's awful when something breaks and you don't have the money to fix it? Or the car doesn't work because you don't have the money to fix it? Because people say things like that. Oh, just do this or that. Nice for you. But when you don't have it, you just don't have it. People can say, oh, I serve Jesus. And I had missionary colleagues, don't get me wrong, but when they were having their bad days and their bad moments, mommy and daddy and the rest of the family were chipping in to help them out. I did not have a default setting here. Yeah? Yeah? To get my newsletters out, my mama had to clean toilets to pay for the postage. That's what I knew as a missionary. And so that stress that I felt there at that computer when the financial amounts came in, and one month I read this verse, give thanks in everything. And as I sat at that computer that month and I opened up that email and I saw that amount, which was pretty similar to the months before, I lifted up my hands in that chair and I began to give thanks. 
Thank you, Lord, that you're my provider. Thank you that you've got all of my needs met. Thank you that you are taking care of me. And I will tell you, my wife and I can attest to the fact he has never faltered. He has never failed us, not for a moment, not for a second. His provision has sometimes gone beyond us that we were astonished because it's like someone just treating you really nicely. You're thinking, God, I just need you to meet my needs. He can go beyond your needs so that you can be a blessing to other people. See, allowing that peace to come in is so important. Do you know you can change the atmosphere? When everyone around you is cranky, when you're cranky, when you're stressed out, tired, and miserable, you can change the atmosphere? Let me just help you for a moment. Everyone just lift your hands. We're gonna practice with one another. And I do want you to leave this place with the peace of God. Just begin to praise him, church. Begin to thank him. If you're going through certain difficulties and it's gonna sound crazy to you, just thank him. Thank him. Thank you, Lord, for this difficulty. Tell him, if you're too short on finances, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that there's not enough money right now. You're working something out that I don't see. If there's a conflict going on in your life, thank you, Lord, for this conflict. I pray that you would bring about the resolve. I give you thanks for your hand in my life. I thank you, Lord, that you see the big picture. Lord, don't let me drown. Give me your peace. Lord, I pray for your people. Let your peace pass over them. Let your presence rest upon them. Jesus, you said it yourself to your disciples. In this world, you will have many troubles but do not be dismayed, for I have overcome the world. Peace I have and peace I give you. Impart your peace into your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Charles Brent says the following. He says, peace comes when there's no cloud between us and God. Peace is the consequence of forgiveness. God's removal of that which obscures his face and so breaks union with him. When we go through difficulties, whether we want to admit it or not, God is the one who usually gets shafted. You're all powerful. You've got the whole world in your hand. Come on, buddy, help me out. And when he doesn't, how dare you? Come on, am I the only person? I say all the time, I live in a real world. I've always lived in a real world. That's my favorite, by the way, as a pastor. Those who have real jobs and live in a real world. No, live in my world for a week. Many people who have wanted to help me out have gone fleeing because they can't take the pressures of what goes on in a week. I live in a real world. I deal with real people and real circumstances. If you cut my skin, I bleed just like the rest of you. And I get angry when things happen. I get frustrated when things happen. And when we don't allow that forgiveness to take place, when we don't allow that connection with God to take place in our lives, we become embittered and we close ourselves off to God's presence. And so it's as simple as saying, God, forgive me. Open the way between you and I. Don't let me become resentful. Don't let me become embittered. Don't let me become numb. Let me feel your presence over and over again. And then lastly this morning, we need to keep persistence. As I said, we live in a society people give up all too quickly. I remember a moment 
in Holland, uh, it is almost oblig obligatory that you have to take swimming lessons. There are waterways just about everywhere in the country. So from children, from young ages, have to get diplomas, like an A diploma, B diploma, C diploma. It's like a thing. And so every child has to learn the art of swimming. My wife did really well. She kept swimming. I don't know how she good, good she is to this day, but she could swim to the point that even fully dressed in a rain jacket and clothing and boots, she could dive into a pool and rescue a rescue dummy that also had clothing on as well. And that's how much they train you to get your body strong. And at one moment, one of our children was having difficulty with the swimming lessons, and they were just one skill away that they couldn't master from getting their diploma. And the teacher came up to me and she said, Mr. Capelli, I want to pass your child, but there's one skill they can't master, and I can pass them if you want me to. I was like, oh, dear Jesus. Give me the strength right now. I said, do not. We're not doing this. As frustrated as I was, and you gotta pay per lesson. That meant an extra 10 to 12 lessons. That meant driving back to that swimming pool. That meant having to tell your child, you are one skill away from getting it and you're not getting it, so you gotta keep going even though you don't want to. But the lesson of perseverance was learned. And why is that lesson necessary? Because I did not want my child to drown. The greater goal was not the diploma. The greater goal was saving their life. As a society, we need to learn that perseverance is part of the fabric of humanity. It is part of who we are. We will go through desperate times. We will go through difficult moments. But with the help and the strength of God, you will come through those moments. Hebrews chapter 12, verse three and four. It says, for consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and give up and struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What's Paul saying here? If hard times, perseverance, and difficulty were good enough for Jesus who was without sin, what makes you think you're exempt? Bam. Sometimes the Bible is not nice. This is not the verse, I love you, you're my little sheep, and I'm holding on to you. This is the verse that says, Jesus needs to be your example in the way that he endured being betrayed, whipped, scorned, beaten, crucified, mocked. Jesus could have gotten away with all of it. He could have said to the Father, I'm not going down to earth, and he would have been okay. Why? Because Jesus is fully God. If he said to the Father in the Trinity, hey, bros, I'm not doing it, it wasn't gonna happen. If Jesus decided in his life that he wasn't gonna be obedient to the Father, he wouldn't have done it. If Jesus chose to be disobedient in the Garden of Gethsemane, he could have done it. He could have said, let this cup pass from me, but he didn't. He said, Father, if it be your will, but not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus went to the uttermost. Jesus took the punishment for you and I when we wanted to quit, when we wanted to give up. Jesus took the punishment so that we did not have to. And people even within our history as a country have shown us the power of endurance. 
and perseverance and persistence. George Washington, in the midst of great difficulty, said the following, and mind you, winning the American Revolution was not easy. You had the greatest trained army military force in the world at the time, mixed with soldiers from other countries that were helping them out. The Americans, we were like a bunch of redneck hillbillies trying to fight for ourselves, jumping out of trees and doing all kinds of crazy things. Thank God, by the way, for the French that helped us out in battle. We forget that sometimes. Washington, in the midst of difficulty, said the following, we must never despair. Our situation has been compromising before. It has changed for the better, so I will trust again. If difficulties arise, we must put forth new exertion and proportion of our efforts in the exigencies of the times. What Washington was saying is, when it gets difficult, we've got to keep going. When I sent you the email about prayer and fasting, if you read it, I hope you did. I took time to write it for you. If you didn't, you're forgiven. But I quoted the words of Winston Churchill, who defended the island nation of Great Britain against the forces of Nazism that had invaded all of continental Europe. That guy had to hold down a country and defend himself from great enemies. And he said things to his people like, never, ever, 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 ever give up. We can't. We cannot give up, church. We cannot give up. We can't give up on ourselves. We can't give up on our families. We can't give up on the body of Christ. We cannot give up on the kingdom of God until it is on earth as it is in heaven. Keep fighting, keep going, keep praying, keep believing, keep reading, keep going. March on and on and on. Do not ever, ever give up. Hebrews 12, 12 through 13. Therefore, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated but healed instead. We all get tired and weary. We all have moments when we want to give up. Believe me, I faced them before. I remember one evening being a few years into missions. I went to bed at night and I looked at my wife. I said, I am done. And when my wife knows I say certain things, she knows I mean them or I don't mean them. This time she kind of gave me that look like, oh, geez. And I went to bed that night feeling finished, tired, mentally tired, physically tired, spiritually tired, sick of people, sick of things. I was on my own little warpath. And that night, as I lay in bed, the power of the Holy Spirit came over me all night long. When I awoke in the morning, I awoke with praise and worship on my lips saying, Hallelujah! See, there are times when we can't do it. The Bible attests to those times, but shows us men and women of God who have over and over again run into the presence of God. See, you are allowed to get tired. You are allowed to get weary. When you are running, your body sometimes wants to give up, but he is the one who can give you strength beyond measure. As the scripture says, Lord, with your strength, I can run through an army and leap over a wall. I end this morning with the words of Eric Little, the famous Olympian and missionary known for the movie Chariots of Fire. He said the following about running. He said, I have no formula for winning the race. 
Everyone runs in his own way or her own way. And where does the power come from to see the race to its end? From within, Jesus said, behold, the kingdom of God is within you. If with all your hearts you truly seek me, you shall surely find me. If you commit yourself to the love of Christ, then that is how you run a straight race. This guy, he was not just a loser. Olympic athlete, powerful missionary. He learned the secrets of being in it to win it. Church, are you in it to win it this morning? Are you in it to win it? Let's stand with one another today. As we close with a song of worship, I want you to realize that the strength that you need in order to keep going can only come from the Lord. May he give you all that you need to endure. May he give you the right pace, the right peace, and the right persistence as you follow after him with all of your heart today. Like Eric Little said, it is the kingdom of God inside of you. If you are here today and you do not know Jesus, if you're watching online and you don't know him, I gladly invite you to invite the one who will be at that finish line on that final day to come into your life and to turn all of your strivings and all of your losings and all of the things that are going wrong, to take them and turn them around for the good. For the body of Christ that is here today, I want you to realize you need Jesus more today than you needed him on the day you got saved. You need more of the Holy Spirit today than you needed on the day you got filled with the Holy Spirit. You need more of that power flowing through your life than on the day you got baptized. Why? Because this race is not over yet. This race is not over yet, and if we as Bethel do not get this into our spirits, if we do not allow the Holy Spirit of God to do this for us, do you know what we will be? We'll be a nice little white congregational church full of nice people. That's not our mission. That's not our mission to pine until Jesus returns. Our mission is to seek and save that which is lost. The only way that we can do it is if we begin to live in the powerful presence of Jesus. He is able, he is mighty. If the altar team could make their way to the front again, if you need prayer for the power of God to help you, to give you the strength and all that you need to run this race, if you have grown tired and weary and you need strength all over again, these altars are open for you that you can find that strength in him. May the blessings of God be with you this day. As you need to exit today through the double doors, we'll be collecting for BGMC. God bless you, have a wonderful week. Do not forget this Thursday, Wednesday at 6.30 is the last teaching in our life teaching series. God bless you, have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Bethel New England Message of the Week. Make sure you share this message with a friend or family member to encourage them today. Head to BethelNE.com to stay up to date with everything that's going on at Bethel New England.